Welcome to Not Another Election, a guide for the exasperated. My name is Simon, I'm the producer, and we're continuing our journey together as we build up to the 2019 general election. We're just a group of friends who have maybe an above average interest in politics, but still often find it confusing and frustrating. We found getting around a table and chatting through things helps us process what's going on and help us reach our own idea of how we might vote. This week, we're in possession of the party manifestos. So we're in a position to comment on what the parties are promising and what they'll deliver if they're elected. Join our conversation as we unpack the campaign points and try to make a sense of the avalanche of these manifesto points, policies, and promises. For the first time, we're in the same room and I'm joined by George. Hello. Tom. Hello. And Sam. Hello. Amazing, cannot believe it. Should we point out that the same room is still a kitchen? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the same kitchen, but we are all here. With upgrades. With upgraded tech, upgraded mics, and hopefully upgraded chat. Hello, Jason. And and Carlsbergs. And Carlsbergs, yeah. Should we talk about where Jason is? Yeah, so Jason's not here um, because you may remember at the end of last week's episode, if you listened to last week's episode, and thank you if you did, that we commented on the fact that we know nothing as a group about Scottish politics. Shamefully, nothing at all. Um, And so basically, uh, we've sent Jason to Scotland. He's in Glasgow as we speak, hopefully coming back with some sort of insight on how it works so that we can, you know, help you listeners in some way (laughs) on the issues that are affecting Scotland. So we'll wait and see when he comes back. We'll see what he comes back with. So that'll be for an upcoming uh, episode. Yes. Brilliant. Well, so we recorded this podcast, try and nut out some of those um, issues and work out how I might vote. Um, So we thought, now we've got the manifestos. If you're a bit confused about how you might vote, kind of a like a, a toolkit for the election or a guide to try and work out how you might just structure your thoughts and yeah. think about how you might vote. So the way we wanted to we start that off is talking about whether you vote nationally or you vote locally. Yeah. So that means either, are you thinking I'm voting for the government of this country or am I worried about my constituency and the MP who's going to represent my area? Yeah, I think that's important because obviously... The national interest is what will make all the news headlines. You hear about policies that will affect the whole country. Mm. Um, But ultimately, elections take place in every local constituency around the country. So if you're going to be staying in your local area for the next five years or it's somewhere you've lived for a long time, it's an area you care about, it's important to look at the local issues and things that might actually affect your day-to-day life, right? Yeah. Um, for me personally, even though I live in London now, I'll be voting in London. I'm not plan. I will be surprised if I'm still in the same constituency in five years' time. Therefore, I'm thinking more on a national level about who I'm going to vote for. What do you mean, Tom? We're going to live together forever? I didn't say I wouldn't be. Li- <laughs> I didn't say I wouldn't be living with you. Just pork is heartbroken. Maybe not. Yeah, I moved down to Cornwall with you. It'll be fine. All right, thanks. Lovely. Um, so yeah, I think that's an important issue because then you can see whether you are whether you think you're voting for something that's going to affect your day-to-day life in your local area or whether you're looking maybe further ahead to the kind of health of the whole country. I think um, when I look at these issues, it's it's very difficult to kind of get get away from the big national picture. Um, And to to be honest, I don't really think that local politics through through the kind of member of parliament process actually has any purchase or agency at all, really. I mean, you look, we, we have local elections for a reason to champion and and dictate local issues Mm. yeah it's interesting because obviously we 
the nature of our constitution is that we send a part of parliamentarians to go and represent our interests, and that's what they go and do. But really, yeah. But for all intents and purposes, we're voting for the. Yeah, I mean, how many guy. how many of our local MPs? I mean, me and Sam obviously live in the same house, so our answer will be the same. But how many of our local MPs or local parties have we had visit us? We've had two visitors from the Labour Party, and that's it. I don't know about you two. I've had no one. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Oh. My family, I, I haven't personally, but yeah. my family have had a, a few door knocks. I think it may just be that they they live in a constituency which is precarious and, and floating between Tory and Labour. Um, yeah, on the phone to my granddad last week, puts the phone down because someone's at the door, calls wow. you back, Labour MP at the door. Oh, really? Said to him, granddad, deep, like, do you persuade you, you know? Um, he says, <laughs> he said, George, my grandparents voted Labour, my parents voted Labour. If I didn't vote Labour, they'd come down and smack me around the chop. Verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, like, yeah, I think um, he's it's hereditary almost yeah. that he's going to vote Labour. And to be honest, I find it really interesting that also in my auntie's constituency mm-hmm. in um, Kensington that, again, she's, funnily enough, just um, she said to me the other day, Oh, um, yeah, I saw Chancellor the Checker the other day. I was like, what do you mean, Chancellor the Checker? Like, what's, 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 um, <laughs> she's like, little, little, little bald man. Funny, <laughs> <laughs> like, Sajid Javid and like a load of security going around like Door the knocks. shops around Chelsea, like, asking around about like, wow. oh, how's your business? And then it just so happens, like, in these two constituencies that are, got that national spotlight that funnily enough they care about local issues but actually yeah. like the big issues are, are national ones but they care about local issues when it's going to hold the balance of power yeah interesting i don't know because you guys all live in london i've i've used i've lived in london all my life but have recently moved out of london and i've i've maybe changed my thought on this a little bit because when you're in london because constituencies are around like seventy thousand people i think that's how they work them out so the idea is that they're all about seventy thousand, yeah. the same, roughly the same mm-hmm. size, right? In London, that's very like constituencies are really small. I've never really noticed the difference between, like, I mean, I'm trying to think of the different constituencies I, I've been in when I lived in London. I've never really thought about the differences. Actually, the difference between one street and another, that's very small. Yeah. Whereas now I've moved to like geographically, it's a much larger constituency, and. Uh, the funny thing is, actually, I don't. I still think it doesn't really matter that much. It probably matters for local councillors, mm. right? So local councillors like like are campaigning on really like issues that they're going to spend the local budget on and stuff. But I think it, I don't. Know, I don't know if the system of like parliamentarians, if it actually, even even in a place where I think it might work, like now where I've moved to with this larger constituency, I still don't think it really makes that much of a difference. Yeah. The the only the only time I can remember anyone really caring what their local MP did was when it came to the round of Brexit votes. Yeah. How did your local MP vote? Yeah. Are they a traitor? Are they are they, on, the are they yeah, are they sabotaging the will of the people? That's the only time in in my memory I can remember anyone really giving two hoots about what their local MP did. Yeah, and similarly I remember the only time that I remember paying a huge amount of attention to the results or the outcome from my local constituency was the Brexit referendum. And I distinctly remember the moment where I was, I think I was actually in Magaluf at the time, which is 
not quite as long ago as it should have been and got a notification flash upon my phone saying that Kettering, my local like hometown constituency, was the first constituency in the UK to vote to leave. They were the first one with the results in. And I was like, wow, that's 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 great, isn't it? That's just wonderful. So, but yeah, other than that, like don't I personally don't pay huge amounts of attention to like local constituency, local I literally could not care less what's going on with my local MP. There we go. Lovely. <laughs> okay, so so I just thought I'd throw that bombshell in there. I felt like the conversation was getting too it. serious. So uh no, not at all. There were a lot of people feel the same. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've worked out how we might all feel. Yeah. But if you're thinking about it, that's the first thing to think about. You know, am I voting nationally or locally? Uh, the next thing you might want to think about is Brexit. The big question for this election. Do you um, want to get on with Brexit? Do you want to have a different form of Brexit? Or do you actually want to remain in European Union? Should we spin around the room and maybe talk about what each of the parties are promising? So um, George has been looking at the Labour manifesto. Tom's been looking at the Lib Dems. And Sam's been looking at the Conservative manifesto. So should we, um, let's start with the Conservatives. I think they've got the the most straightforward um, approach. What's their approach to Brexit? Get Brexit done by what? January the 31st. <laughs> Easy. So they borrowed October the... Um... They're not March the... Uh... Uh, they had to scrub that, scrub both. Yeah. Boris Johnson, get Brexit done. Key tagline for the Tory manifesto. Just add water. Gas mark 400, gas mark 800. Doesn't matter. It's oven oven ready, microwave ready. This deal is primed, ready to go. If you vote and for Conservatives and, and they get a majority in the election, you will have the withdrawal agreement through the House of Commons by Christmas. And you will have your Brexit by January the 31st. And we move on. So um, the opposite view, potentially, the Lib Dems? Yeah. So I'd say the Lib Dems have taken the uh, a very opposite view to this. They've said, very simply, if they get into power with a majority, they will cancel Brexit. Very straightforward. Joe Swinson, the Lib Dem leader, has been very upfront throughout her campaign and said... If we get into power with a majority, we will cancel Brexit. Yep. They have then gone on to say, which you would think is the more likely outcome, is that they will not have a majority. Should they be in power, whether that be as part of a coalition or whether that just be an increased number of MPs, they will campaign for a people's vote, which is a term that's been banded about a lot in the last six months especially. I'm not sure if it's one that everyone is overly familiar with what that actually means. Um, what that means just a normal vote isn't it like, was the, what was the last one a monkey's vote well exactly people vote all the time <laughs> we're all people we vote people's vote people's vote so what they are saying with people's vote is they will put forward another referendum where the choice on the ballot paper will be a deal that is agreed with the European Union to leave the EU and the other option will be to cancel that and remain in the EU. So it'll be a second referendum, but with a negotiated deal on one side and remain on the other. So you would say if you're a staunch Remainer, Lib Dem is the party that most naturally aligns to that. Yep. Okay. And then the Labour view, which is a little bit more complicated potentially. Yeah. So the Labour Party, I guess, sort of sits in the between those two, those two places. Um, and essentially, the Labour Party position is to renegotiate what they call a 
better settlement with the European Union, which will have a closer alignment to the European Union in terms of workers' rights, environmental standards, and also closer alignment to the single market and the customs union. So broadly speaking, does that mean that it will we will see less of a difference? Should we leave with that deal, we will see less of an impact. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's the idea is to sort of minimise and mitigate the impacts and the adverse impacts and ensure there's more continuity to the kind of status quo as we have now. And then take that deal and within six months, put it back to the people in a people's vote. People's vote. And within that process, Jeremy Corbyn has committed to almost counterintuitively stay neutral, which almost makes... Little to no sense. It's a tricky one to get your head around, isn't it? Because the obvious question is, if you're going to renegotiate a deal with the EU and you therefore want to negotiate the best deal you possibly can, how can you do that when you then bring it back to the UK and don't campaign for it and remain neutral? It's a, it's a tricky one. It's, a, it's an interesting stance and it's one that a lot of people have been questioning as to how it could actually work. And... Just to, to, to further kind of heighten that conundrum, Corbyn's going to be backed up with a, a cabinet that is going to be, on the whole, pro-Remain. Yeah. And will be essentially campaigning against the deal in which the government of the day and that they are members of has struck with the European Union. And the the criticism from the other side is what incentives do the European Union have to provide a good deal? And why would they even bother reopening negotiations to a party that's going to take that forward and back to the country Yeah, when they don't actually want to see the outcome of the deal they've negotiated? Yeah. So I feel that's definitely the most kind of complex outlook. But ultimately, although Jeremy Corbyn hasn't repeatedly hasn't come out and said it and put a kind of clear position out there, the majority of the Labour Party are a Remain party, right? So ultimately, as a party, as you mentioned, in particular the Cabinet, that's the outcome they would want. So it's interesting to see, you know, should that happen? Should they gain a majority and what you've just described happens? It'll be interesting to see how that works, you know. And I guess the other thing as well is to think about, you know, if this so-called people's vote, if you were to take it back and provide it, Back to the country, me speaking to my family and, and, and people I know and friends that voted leave, they, they, they regard it in utter contempt. They don't they won't respect what's on that ballot paper because they see it as a departure from the original yeah. components of the referendum. But they also, I mean, I cannot see there being an upswell of, of opinion amongst Brexiteers for an for a a settlement that has been negotiated by people that don't actually believe in the outcome of what's being negotiated. Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't actually, in my opinion, I don't think it's going to end the question. And what we really need here is we need progress and we need to move, move aside and move this kind of issue onwards. How do we feel about the Lib Dems saying that they will just cancel Brexit if they get in power? Because it's quite a strong statement. For for the Liberal Democrats, it seems like an extremely illiberal thing to do. Or no, an extremely undemo- undemocratic thing to do, sorry. How, do, how so? Well, to say that you will unilaterally revoke the largest um, <clears throat> political... The vote that had the largest amount of votes in, in the UK's political history seems like a pretty un democratic thing to me given that it was 
arguably the most democratic decision this nation has ever taken. So their position, though, is that they believe that the public opinion has shifted. And it would have if they secure a majority. And if they, yeah, if they secured an outright majority, it would suggest it's radically shifted towards Remain, which is, you know, that, that's been their clear policy. Um, so if they won based on that, that would suggest it. And that's how we've decided most like political decisions in this country is through elections and people stand on manifestos rather than referenda. Um, and I think the referenda, the referendums that we've had have just been very confusing to the country, uh, not and being polarizing and polarizing because that's the, in essence what they're meant to be about. Yeah. I love the use of the plural of referendum there. I love that. Not very often you hear the word referenda. Oh, no, I always forget to say that. Mm, Referendums, that. referenda. Bit of Latin. Love I, that. I will say, if I if I give my own opinion on on each of the three, okay, um, views, conservatives, fair play. You want to leave, fine. Lib Dems, fair play. You want to stay. Oh, it rhymed. Fine. Labour. What's going on there? Come on. Come on. And I can't work out if Jeremy Corbyn's position is is born out of um a if it's born out of coward born out of cowardice, if it's born out of his deeply rooted hatred towards the EU. And let's face it, and I've just pulled up on my screen now all the occasions where Jeremy Corbyn has voted against change in the EU, voted against joining the EU in the first place, voted against the Lisbon Treaty, voted against the creation of the European Union's diplomatic service, um, voted voted for the referendum of Britain's, Britain's membership of the EU in 2011, broke the Labour whip to do that. So I'm not sure if the reason Jeremy Corbyn is staying neutral is because actually he really does want to leave the EU or if it's because he doesn't want to come across as though he's taking a side and wants to try and keep everyone happy. Could you say that... It could be both. It could be both. Could you say that he, by remaining neutral, he's saying to the British people, regard this new referendum that Labour will put forward with a deal on one side and remain on the other, he's, by staying neutral, he's saying to the British people, whatever the outcome of that is, I'm in a position to deliver it. I think that I think that's definitely a, a potential um, calculation in his mind. As you think about the um, me and Simon were discussing earlier around Cameron at the end of the um, when the referendum came to a conclusion, he couldn't actually he had to step down because he couldn't carry out the will of the people, as it were, and, and had to step down and allow sort of a new captain to steer the ship. I think he said at the time. I think the other calculation in his mind, um, Corbyn, that is, is he's thinking about the socially conservative and left behind communities in the North of England, not, not wholeheartedly the North, but that's the contingent he's looking at and the, and the more liberal softer Islington elite type remain angle and trying to sort of balance those two things. And what I find crazy is that we're actually looking at quite far left proposition in terms of government but actually someone is trying to take the middle way and a very centrist way on the biggest question of the day which i think that's well, well un- under certain eu rules he wouldn't even be able to go through with some of his manifesto pledges which ones so around the around creating uncompetitive markets around state sponsorship or state aid 
So that's so you're talking about some of the nationalization. Exactly, yeah. So so actually his manifesto runs counter to what he would be able to do if they remained in the EU. And this is one of the reasons why Jeremy Corbyn has always been opposed to the EU, because he feels that in order for the UK to govern itself properly and to go in the direction that he wants to take it, it needs to have complete freedom to be able to do whatever it wants in terms of its uh, socialist policy, mm. policies. Okay, so to step back a minute from that all of deep. that. That was deep. Yeah. We, went, we went deep. Oh, sorry, everyone. You've gone in there, Trav. Right sorry. in. Step back a little bit. Brexit's nationalisation. So if I'm um, looking at these three parties and I'm I'm looking at this first issue of Brexit, my options are if I'm happy with Boris Johnson's deal and I want to leave the European Union, I would vote Conservative. If I want to remain in the European Union or at least I want to have another shot at another referendum, I'd vote Lib Dems. And if... I want to remain or stay in the or leave the European Union. Potentially, I could vote Labour, but I'd get a different kind of Brexit if I voted Labour because their Brexit would be different to uh, the Conservatives' kind of Brexit plan. That's kind of a broad summary of where we're at. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you get ambiguity if you go for Labour, and you get clear-cut decisions if you go for Lib Dems or if you go for for the Conservatives. Good news is. We will talk about other things other than Brexit. Yeah. And also, we're only talking about the three main party manifestos today. Yeah. So um, we're going to get onto the other minor parties as well in another episode. But we wanted to just start with these three, because these are the main three you've probably got to think about in most uh, most parts of the country. So the next thing you might want to do, after you've thought about national versus local, after you've thought about your position on Brexit and what you want to do... Um, you then probably want to think about what are the important issues for you. This is a general election. It's not the Brexit election. It's a general election, which means we talk about a general list of policies and a future for the country. So after those two issues, you want to think about what is important to you. So the first thing might be the NHS. And that's a really big issue um, in this election. Um, You could be thinking about the climate. Um, You could be thinking about transport, housing, um, spending money on things like um, infrastructure, the broadband and things that Labour have promised. Um, Should we go around the room and maybe just list a couple of things that are kind of so maybe maybe on the on the NHS? What are the kind of what are the key things that the different parties are promising? Again, should we start with the Conservatives? Yep. So um, from the homework I was given and the research that I've done. I mean, conservatives and the NHS is always a bit of a bit of a weird conversation. Uh, they stripped it. <laughs> There's they, nothing left. I think I think they've tried. Hollow, I think they've tried. I think they've tried hollowing it out. But what I can say is that they are going to commit extra funding for the NHS: fifty thousand more nurses, fifty million more GP surgery appointments. So, one thing I, I found interesting about the um, conservative manifesto is that the NHS has been front and center. This is something that I've thought has been a little bit strange for them to kind of really go after, especially because this is the Labour Party's bread and butter. Like, do you really want to try and compete with Labour on the NHS? Or do you want to go after the the policies that you know traditional conservative voters will get behind you on? For example, business rates, tax. Um, or tax cuts, should I say, um, you know, 
all of being tough on crime, all of those immigration, all of those sort of traditional conservative topics. But to keep this short, to keep this sweet, funding for the NHS, 50,000 more nurses, 50 million, G, um, more, 50 million more GP surgery appointments every year. That's what the Conservatives are pledging in their manifesto. Okay. And uh, the Lib Dems? Uh, the Lib Dems are also pledging for, uh, that they will increase spending on the NHS. They have put in their manifesto the one penny in the pound extra on income tax will be ring-fenced for the NHS and social care. So that, broadly speaking, is an extra £7 billion a year invested in the NHS. I personally find it very tricky to talk about billions of pounds yeah, because totally. you have you hear every headline will have a number in it of in some way. It's very difficult to put that into any sort of context. Like I don't know if seven billion pounds a year extra spending is a lot or a little or so it's tricky and that's something maybe we can discuss, you know, in a future episode. So I I think that I think you raise a really good point and I don't know if you've ever sat around the table with your friends and family and someone's gone, what would you do if you won 600 million pounds in the lottery? And then you've just gone around and assigned millions of pounds to everyone. Oh, you're my best mate. You can have a house. Oh, you're my friend. Oh, you can have yeah. 50 mil to start a business. Making it yeah. rain. You just, you're just literally dishing up because, no because there's no concept. It doesn't mean anything. It's all fictitious. And at the end of the day, it's a wish list. And And do you feel like sometimes these manifestos get to the point where, you are literally just they're just it's just numbers it's numbers, it's on, a numbers page. on a page and 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 who's going to disagree with it it's tricky i mean i think the the information is out there if i wanted to find out is 7 billion on the nhs a lot or a little i could find it out you know i could delve into more articles and go on more government pages and find out what the annual spending on the nhs is etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's not it doesn't feel like it's easily available um so with, without wishing to go off on too much of a tangent on where we find all this information. The other thing that the Lib Dems are pledging um, for the NHS and for healthcare is longer term, the party wants to move and introduce a dedicated health and care tax. So presumably that would sit alongside income tax, it would sit alongside national insurance. There'll be a dedicated health and care tax. So I suppose it's much easier for the public to see exactly where their money is going. But that is something that they have spoken about as being further ahead into the future. Okay, and uh, Labour's position on the NHS? So, I mean, this is the, the sort of marquee Labour policy. Um, and, the, and, I mean, the core and crucial point around this is they plan to increase the health budget by 4.3%. Now, again, that seems like a much more nuanced figure than touting big numbers. It's actually a, a number which is relative and we can compare against the different parties. Um, it's fair to say that the sort of amongst the analysis and what think tanks have said that's definitely at the higher end of what they they think is is doable and what they think is um is required but it certainly is their flagship policy the labor Labour party have always had a, a very close knit relationship with the nhs um we're in charge of founding the nhs um but also it's it it runs central to their their theme around this election it's the big thing they want to keep banging the drum on Every time Brexit gets mentioned, they bring up a and a big trade deal with the NHS and, and selling off our health service. And it allows them to kind of pivot the conversation back onto the NHS the whole time because they think that's where they can really gain traction with the electorate and they think they're trusted to fund the NHS in that way. 
It's interesting as well. Like I know you mentioned uh, last week, George, that with this election being taking place in December, the NHS and healthcare and general kind of social services are under the spotlight maybe even more so than they would be normally because it's a time of year where the NHS is under a lot of pressure mm. and so that certainly seems to tie in with the Labour strategy of making sure it's front and centre of everyone's mind and just reminding people that they are the party that traditionally put the most money into the NHS and support it more than any of the others. Yeah, so to maybe differentiate a little bit, if you're, if you're sat there thinking, right, I've just heard all the kind of the top line policies and I'm still none the wiser on how I might vote. I think it's fair to say that everybody wants to spend more on the NHS. There's just a little bit of nuance exactly in how they'd spend it. One of the key issues that's come up is about, you kind of touched on it a little bit, George, is about this kind of idea of having a trade deal with the United States and whether some of the NHS or some contracts or might might be available and um, for US companies to come and compete on. And that that idea has been a big concern for some people. Boris Johnson says, no, the NHS isn't for sale. That's not going to be on the on the table at all. But it's not quite being clear if it is or if it isn't, because there's some documentation that's not been released. And um, Jeremy Corbyn was kind of holding up this document and saying, look at all this information that they're not letting you see. There is the trade talks are going on. That could be a big issue for you. If you're thinking about um, the NHS and, and how you want to vote, I think it might still be fair to say you could still be worried about the NHS being opened up to US companies. So maybe that could be a reason you don't want to vote for the Conservatives. Yeah, and we should explain that the, the link between those two is the reason or the reason that the NHS could be potentially opened up to privatisation and being controlled by companies either within the UK or outside would come about from a Brexit and a different trade deal than we currently have. Is that right? So because I, we've I left the EU, we can make trade deals with other countries in a, in a new way. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think um, two really important points to make. Uh, firstly, privatisation within the NHS exists already. Yeah. And true. in fact, contrary to what many people think, it actually started under Tony Blair's government in 2003. And that was the that was the start of what now many people say um, is a real problem within within the NHS is this part privatization of services. It was accelerated under the Tory led coalition government, but it all kicked off under a Labour government. So I think it's a bit of a myth for people to say that privatization and the conservatives go hand in hand in terms of the NHS, because in fact it was started under a Labour government. The second, second thing to make is that I guess this is down to trust. The, so Boris Johnson has said on, on numerous occasions, the NHS is not for sale mm. and would never be for sale under a trade deal with the United States. So I think, like I said, that that's a real trust thing. Do people trust what he has to say? Um, I'm sure we've all got our own opinions on that. But in terms of this kind of weaponizing the NHS within the, the election, it's really interesting because the Labour always go after this point. Yeah, it was it was their party that started this. A million miles apart from the party that it is today. Correct. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's fair to say, like, and Sam's, Sam's correct on that point. Um, I, I, 
chatting with people at work today, I came up with a very interesting proposition thinking about, you know, the NHS, the, the, the fundamental tenet behind it is that it's free at the point of use to all people in the United Kingdom. To be honest, my, my perspective is if a private contract delivers best value for money for the taxpayer, I don't have a particular problem with it being delivered through a private mechanism as long as the quality and the value is as efficient as possible for the taxpayer. I'm interested to hear what your your thoughts are on do you would you prioritize a pure health service where it's purely public all the whole way through but it costs more to the taxpayer or do you care more about keeping the you know keeping the NHS as public as possible I cannot think of one single thing in my life that is better managed by the government than it is managed by an entity that want to make money from it uh, like I, I challenge anyone to think to themselves what can I get for free that is better than if I pay for it? And I'm not saying for a second that we privatize the NHS. I'm just saying that as soon as you introduce a commercial, as soon as you introduce an entity that is commercially driven, then you're, you have to provide quality because otherwise you, you lose out to a competitor. But to the listeners, like think, think about that. Can you get what? What in your life can you get for free that is better than what you could get if you paid for it? I guess this is a key, a key kind of idea in terms of the left-right kind of politics of today. Is do you believe that um, a large government that controls everything can run a more efficient system, or do you think that we should have a smaller government and that companies that are specialised in doing particular roles whether they'll be able to deliver better quality and a better price i don't want to get into that just now because i want to make sure we keep rattling through pick that up again i think we should definitely pick that up again because that's a really big kind of idea can we talk a little bit about climate maybe Um, climate's a really big uh topic in this election and the three main parties have all said some kind of quite big things on it that they've not really said before um in elections um who wants to kick us off I don't mind. I can kick us off with the Lib Dems. Yep. Um, they have very ambitious plans for how we are going to transform the way that we use energy in this country and mm-hmm. how we're going to become renewable and how we're going to be zero carbon. The ambition and the target that they have set out is they want the UK to generate 80% of its electricity from renewable energy by 2030. So that is only 10 years away. Currently... The UK produces 40% of its electricity um, either by wind, solar, and biomass. So that was in the kind of third quarter of this year. So effectively what they're saying is we need to double the amount of energy that we produce from renewable sources in the next 10 years, which is a very ambitious target. There will obviously be a lot of spending involved in doing that because we would need more solar farms, we would need more wind turbines, we would all that's on a macro level on a micro level on an individual basis we would need to undertake a significant change in our lifestyle to be able to achieve that and that could be driving electric cars that could be eating less meat that could be you know reducing our use of single-use plastic there's all sorts of different ways that we would need to do that but the target that the Lib Dems have set out to double the amount of renewable energy in the next 10 years means that we all need that's based on every single individual changing their lifestyle and changing their habits 
So it's a big it's a big pledge. I'm sure it will get a lot of supporters. I mean, climate change, I feel, is a tricky policy. Going back to what Sam was saying about having a wish list, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that says, I want to make the climate worse. Like, you know, it's a, and we all agree we would we would need to take action and we need to, you know, start thinking about this much more seriously. I suppose it comes down to whether these kind of pledges are realistic or not. But that's what that's what the Lib Dems are saying. Okay, cool. Um, Conservatives? Um, so I think from what I've read, from what I've heard, carbon neutral by 2050, Corbyn neutral by Christmas. As Boris all over that, that was a, That was a, a soundbite yeah. I heard from uh, the manifesto launch. I thought it was quite funny. Um I mean, they, they go into a lot around like animal welfare. And, and I think what's interesting about this is um, Boris Johnson's new love affair, Carrie, Carrie Simmons, I think her name is. Um, is it alleged love affair or is it genuine no, love affair? Legit. Yeah, they live Confirmed. in Downing Street together. Yeah, they got a dog. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Oh, because you never know with Boris. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so if they got a dog, then it's legit. Yeah. So I, th I think she, I think she considers herself to be like an environmental activist. Um, and and a lot of people are saying that the manifesto on on this particular agenda is more coming from her than it is from Boris. I I, I think most people would would agree that if you're voting on green issues, you probably shouldn't vote for the Conservatives. There's nothing in the manifesto that's particularly groundbreaking. Mm. They claim to want a green industrial revolution, but again, that just comes back to the foundations of what the Tories want, which is enterprise, um, entrepreneurialism and jobs yeah but yeah nothing nothing major to to report in terms of like anything groundbreaking okay cool labor so the labor um the labor proposition is one that sort of is stretching a bit further than the, the liberal democrats um manifesto and and far beyond that of the the tory manifesto they're they're promising to the make make the uk net zero carbon by 2030, well, before 2030. Which is mental. That's that's it, big. It's ambitious. It's um, good, though. Yeah, and I think... I mean, it's, <laughs> it's nice it's, to say these things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely sentiment, but um, I think one of the things that Corbyn is going to struggle with here is trying to make this kind of proposition stick amongst some of the kind of traditional working class um manufacturing and heavy industry workers in the labor party that have traditionally voted labor and um whilst they sort of may well believe in a in a carbon neutral future they and they like the sound of these low carbon jobs that are going to be the jobs of the future and we've been hearing about these jobs for a long a long time i think there's a there will be a concern amongst the core labor electorate that these these propositions whilst meanwhile and um and and a good soundbite for an election they don't want to see an end to their their livelihoods and their and yeah. their um yeah their way of life you know in in, in fairness to labor and and uh i've just pulled up the green party manifesto their their aim green party are aiming for 2030 as well yeah. so it's a pretty a pretty aggressive target by labor to to want that also and i think probably probably really good for politics yeah the fact that you know the green party that have sort of always hung their coat on on being the most aggressive with these with these sort of targets the fact that a mainstream 
the the leading opposition party is is matching those commitments is pretty pretty good. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is the first election I can remember where climate has been a key policy for all major parties. Like there, there's always a policy that's thrown in somewhere about you know reducing diesel cars or increasing recycling or this kind of thing. But this is, seems to be the first election where every party is taking it as a serious issue. I've I've actually got a a bit of a bit of a manifesto pledge from the conservatives which touches on what you just said i picked up which i really liked they will invest one billion pounds in completing a fast charging network to ensure that everyone is within 30 miles of a rapid electric vehicle charging station that was a that was a manifesto pledge that i think completely went under the radar yeah but is is pretty cool it's yeah. linked to both infrastructure which i, I think simon you yeah. might be about to segue into but also is is definitely part of their their green yeah. initiative can't argue with that yeah okay so i think maybe there's a bit more divergence there and um certainly if you feel strongly on climate that gives you some indication of where you might play, want to place your vote um yeah so maybe yeah thinking about infrastructure maybe thinking about infrastructure or transport um those kind of things is there anything that we want to um pull out on that um one thing the lib dems have said is they are committed to completing the hs2 rail link which is obviously the new high-speed network to run between london and manchester um which you know some parties are talking about, some aren't. I know that the Brexit party have said that they'll abolish HS2, so that's obviously an opposing view. Um, in terms of the other things that the Lib Dems have said in around kind of infrastructure, they have said that they will freeze train fares, which is mm-hmm. a kind of far-reaching policy. They've said that they will... For fares that apply to peak time and season tickets, the train fares will be frozen, and so that will obviously lead to no real increases in kind of annual train fares, peak time tickets, that kind of thing. It's pretty good. I like um, that. I can get behind that. I think yeah. you're doing a better job than Joe here, Tom. Well, I mean, thanks very much. I'll bear that oh, in it's because he's read the manifesto. Is it? Tom Brown, 2020, <laughs> Tom Brown 2025. Here we come. Okay. Um, who was it? Labour next, maybe? Um, I mean, the Labour the Labour position on this has been... It's it's well documented, um, including on this podcast. On this podcast, where we <laughs> rambled on what free broadband may mean for a, for about ten fifteen minutes. Um, so I guess one of the, one of the things that you know that Labour want to do, and it's and it's clear a clear break from the direction of travel in this country for the last forty years, is to bring forward a, a, a program of nationalisation, mm. um, both in terms of energy, in terms of broadband provision, and in terms of uh, rail infrastructure as well. Um, And to oversee some of these things, they're bringing forward a a UK national energy agency, which will own and maintain the national grid infrastructure and oversee the delivery of our decarbonisation targets. I look at these pledges and they are pretty... It's when you read through the the manifesto, you realise like how ambitious these things really are. And we are looking at what would be a completely different Britain. Yeah. Whether these things are possible, you know, under a, a sort of a minority government and whether they're going to require a large degree of sign up by all parliamentarians, really. Well, part, enough to get a majority. That's another question. Yeah, it's a big shift. It's a huge shift and it will it will radically change the way that we live our day-to-day lives, in my opinion. Yeah. I think... um. 
yeah, Labour's basically, I think Labour's maybe taking the opportunity to set out a completely different view of the country, as you kind of said there, George. At a time when we're so confused about what we what we kind of want as a country, I think that's fair to say. I think we're yeah. we're, we're confused over Brexit, but I mean we've we've had like hung parliaments and things for the last 10 years i mean it's not been as clear where where we want to take the country and i think there is a mm. there's a there's a mood in the country isn't there that you know things haven't worked for everybody yeah i think labor are taking i mean this is probably fair enough it's a perfectly logical way of thinking of it they're probably thinking right we're going to take this opportunity you know as a country we've been talking about nothing but brexit for the last three years we're going to take this opportunity to to talk about everything but brexit you know this is what we can do for transport this is what we can do for infrastructure this is what we can do for healthcare, and just remind put a load of pledges out there that will people will probably feel refreshed at reading something in the political news that is not about Brexit. And they know that a lot of these policies have either worked in the past or are kind of traditional Labour policies that they know will gain support. So I can kind of see the point and go thinking, do you know what? Yes, as we've said, a lot of it is very ambitious, very high targets. But you know what? Why not just throw it out there? Let's talk about something different. Let's have a bit of a refresh. They probably feel the country's gone a bit stale with all Mm. this talk of will we, won't we Brexit? Will it be hard Brexit, soft Brexit? Are we having Brexit for breakfast? Is it red, white and blue Brexit? Let's talk about something else. I, I think it's the final wheeze of a of a form of the Labour Party that is going to imminently die. Well, and, I, that, yeah. and that, you know, That's... once they lose this election, Corbyn, McDonald, all, all of the hard left Labour um, politicians will be cast to the to the doldrums of, of, of the Labour Party and you will get you will get the new, new, new the new new labor come in yeah. and finally in my opinion there will be a, a sensible labor party that people can get behind but I, I honestly feel like this manifesto is the last wheeze of and corbyn's final attempt at getting what he wants yeah, just giving it giving it one last go yeah exactly what happens though if We've kind of said, I think, a few times, well, Sam, you certainly said that you reckon the Conservatives are going to run an outright majority. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you still think that at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I was saying last week, I reckon they'll be the largest party, um, the Conservatives, that is. Um, but I didn't think there'd be a majority. You know, let's say we're somewhere around that and perhaps the Conservatives are the largest party, but they're not, they don't hold a, like the majority government they need. And Labour do, you know, well enough that actually they kind of have indicated and they can say, well, we didn't win, but we didn't we didn't lose terribly. Where where does where do you think that puts them? Well, interestingly, some people have already been saying that, you know, if the Lib Dems, for example, would sign up to a coalition with with Labour, then actually one of the first things they might request is that Jeremy Corbyn steps down from the Labour from from being Prime Minister. So already these conversations around the fact that parties like Plaid, parties like the Lib Dems would happily go into coalition with, with Labour, just not under its current leadership. And I think that even if we get to a position where the Labour Party has a substantial number of votes and could potentially form a government being propped up, I do honestly believe that there will be questions around whether or not that can happen whilst Jeremy Corbyn is, is the leader of the party. And I think we could very well see a situation where a Labour coalition is formed, 
but not as Jeremy Corbyn as the Prime Minister. On the condition that, that he doesn't lead it. Yeah, mm. I think that comes back comes back right to the point about our sort of local national issue where you've got the electorate, me being one of those people thinking, you know, the Labour Party is, is clearly where I would normally sort of stick a vote, stick a cross in the box. But actually, I've got sort of some big apprehensions around the leadership, around some of the some of the kind of uh, sentiments around anti-Semitism and um, some of the, the links with Corbyn in the past, but also just his ability to lead us on the on the world stage. And I think those concerns are are definitely sort of chiming amongst the, the rest of the public. I think as well, like thinking about the Labour Party and the direction of the Labour Party, actually the way that the party has travelled in the last five years since Corbyn's been in charge, actually I can't really see the Labour Party ever returning back to a sort of a centrist, moderate place, given that the membership has been completely shifted to be very sort of left-wing and socialist and Corbyn focused as mm. it were um so i'm actually very uncertain as to what the future of the labor party will be if this election doesn't go the way they see it i think this out. this this kind of conversation characterizes a lot about politics in 2019 is that things have changed and parties have changed and um it doesn't doesn't nothing feels very predictable nothing feels like it ever has before and it feels this is a tricky thing. How do you place your vote in that environment? Um, hopefully, we've tried to you know, eke out some of the decisions you've got to make. Um, to recap them, thinking about national versus local, thinking about um, Brexit and how and how you want to see that um, unfold, and then thinking about those issues around NHS, climate, transport, things like that. What are the things that matter to you? Get on the the party's website, see what they say about it. Um, also. Places like BBC have a really good um, simple guide so you can kind of look up the thing you care about, let's say the NHS, and you can see what each of the parties say on it. As I said, next time we're going to look at some of the minor parties and see what kind of ideas they have. Um, but maybe as we uh, kind of round off this week's episode, can we give our winner and loser of the week, perhaps? I can kick straight off with a loser Okay, that's in. That's allowed. Um, I am going to nominate um, the Conservative MP, Nikki Morgan, as my loser of the week. Yep. Um, if anyone hasn't seen her interview on uh, Good Morning Britain with uh, Piers Morgan and Susanna Reid, I would encourage you to watch it. She was speaking um, uh, particularly around the pledge that Sam mentioned earlier from the Conservatives to increase... Uh, the amount of nurses in the NHS by 50,000. So that's 50,000 more nurses. And it appears that Nikki Morgan hasn't quite grasped the concept of the word more because it was put to her that the Conservatives have actually said there will be 50,000 nurses and we actually already have 13,000. So by saying we will have 50,000, that's not 50,000 more, that's 50,000 total. And there was a, a hilarious exchange... Piers Morgan, as you can imagine, was very calm, diplomatic, sensitive <laughs> throughout the like, whole that process. Like him, yeah. um, I would urge you to go and have a look. But I would think it's safe to say when Nikki Morgan looks back on it, she will probably think not the best interview I've ever done. Fair. I've got one. Yeah, go on. It's the bloke who was on uh, Question Time this week who said he wasn't in the top five. Oh. <laughs> This is brilliant. He was like, I'm not, I'm not in the top five percent. How much did he earn? So hold on, so, so I he... earned eighty k. 
God knows who on earth is paying that bloke. So this, so this was a guy who was in the audience, and he was complaining about. He was saying that Labour's tax. So Labour said they were going to increase tax on the top five percent of earners, and he was saying that they're going after everyone. That's not just like your businesses and your and your and your elite. They're going after the man in the street. They're going after you. Yeah, your guy paying paye. Okay. Um, and and he said that he was. You know, I have. No, no, no. no, no. I'm just trying to flesh it out. And and he said, um, well, I earn a normal amount or something like that. Yeah. And they said, great. Well, taxes will not increase for you if you, you know, if you're in the 95 percent of the population, your tax will not increase. And he said, no, 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 because you're you're going to go after these people. I said, right. Well, how much? How much do you earn? Yeah. And he said, eighty thousand pounds a year, which Which does put him. Very much in the top 5%. It's been argued that it might just be outside. Uh, but I mean, yeah, he's basically in the top 5%, um, which was hilarious. And then yeah. he followed up by saying the top 5 you know, the top 5%, they don't even work. They're yeah. just, you know, they're not doing anything. And then, you know, yeah, he was sadly, he was missing. Doctors don't know 5%. Oh, what's it? He said, solicitors he don't said, he said every doctor and accountant in the country earns more than £80,000, is what he said. <laughs> So yeah, that I think that firmly puts him in in contention for loser of the week. Yeah, yeah. Anyone nah, can top that? That's a good yeah. one. Have you got one, Sam? Yeah, mine's mine. Mine's pretty serious, to be honest. Oh dear. Oh no. Uh-oh. But it sure, surely, surely, it's got to be. It's got to be Jeremy Corbyn. And and I only say that because of of the chief rabbi coming out, um, saying that a new poison sanctioned from the very top has taken root in Labour, and and really sort of telling people to vote with their conscience in this election in terms of how the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn has dealt with and and perhaps let anti-Semitism sort of foster. And I I don't really have an opinion. I don't really know too much about it, but I've just loaded up um, BBC News and and in an interview with Andrew Neil, he's he's refused to apologise. And I, I just kind of think, you know, Regardless of of your of of how much you do or don't know about this topic, if the if the chief rabbi or if a religious leader kind of comes out, you know, maybe maybe you probably should at least apologise for for even giving the perception that you're letting that sort of thing exist in your party. So for me, uh, I, I feel like he's got. Come on, that's that's a that's not good. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, I'm really split on who my loser of the week should be. And I'm just trying to decide in my head right now. And I've decided that my loser of the week is going to be um, Lee Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> that well-known person, Lee Anderson, who's standing um, for the Conservatives in Ashfield in Nottinghamshire. Okay. Um, oh, God, Lee. So he forgot he was wearing a live microphone while uh. he phoned his friend to set up a fake encounter to impress a journalist. Oh. Uh. On the phone, he said... Make out you know who I am. You know I'm the candidate, but you're not a friend, all right? Uh, and um, Oh, come on, Lee. Yeah. And then, of course, upon arriving on the doorstep, the supporter, the, um, the supposed, sorry, swing, a swing voter um, told the Tory candidate, there's no way Labour are ever going to get my vote again. Oh, well. <sighs> come on, Lee. Come on, Do Lee. better. Have a little bit of nous. Running yep. through um, Fact Check UK. Oh, <laughs> well, well <laughs> we might briefly get onto that, but those are those are our um, losers of the week. Yeah, um, this week winners of the week. Who didn't cock up? Fiona Bruce could be a winner of the week. I think she handled the question time debate on Friday very well. 
There were times when the audience were getting pretty rowdy and she had to just kind of rein them in a little bit. At one point she said, I'm in charge here. I'm running this. Which you've got to respect. Yeah, we need some of that. We need a bit of that. Equally, when there were audience members that maybe didn't quite phrase a question as they would have wanted or just frankly there were times where they said just absolute drivel and nothing at all when it was nothing of any use. She recovered it, put questions in. I feel like she dealt with it very well. So yeah, I'm gonna go Fiona Bruce. Yeah, I think that's. I, I would support that. I reckon. I think that's. Yeah, it's a good nomination. Some frantic googling going on around this table. <laughs> we do like to focus well, on cock ups. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, winners aren't fun, are they? <laughs> uh, my, uh, mine, mine is Labour MP, the winner, the Labour MP Jess Phillips. Okay. Her tweet: the only response to the chief rabbi that is moral is, "I'm sorry." And I'll do whatever I possibly can to win back your community's trust. And it's as simple as that. So okay. just as Corbs is my loser, Labour MP Jess Phillips is my winner because I think her response is perfect. Any other final nominations for winners this week? It's fine if you don't. You don't have to have one. Mm, I can't say I have one. No, that's fine. <laughs> Boris's we, dog. Have you seen Boris's, Boris's dog? Boris's dog has been doing the rounds. What do you mean doing the rounds? He's been doing the rounds. He, <laughs> he's standing. <laughs> he probably should. He'd probably be better than a lot of the candidates we got. But yeah, he's been going around with like a little um, sash on and stuff. And I love dogs in sashes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, you, you're not confusing it with Boris's dad who's been going on the doorstep. <laughs> Stanley. Yeah, it's Stanley. As you've heard, we are still trying to work it all out. Um, plenty more of our opinions. Hopefully some facts. Uh, maybe we will get there. On polling day. Maybe we will know how we're going to vote um, by the end of this all. Um, remember, this is an open conversation. We love to hear from you. So if you've just got a comment or a question, um, you can grab us on Twitter at Another Election. Or we'd even love it more if you could um, record a little message for us. Be part of the podcast at anchor.fm slash notanotherelection. Send it to your friends. Get other people involved. We would um, love to hear from you. So that's all from me. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Stay classy. Cheers.